This episode of the Earmark Podcast is brought to you by BotKeeper. BotKeeper works with QuickBooks and Zero, the most popular online GLs. Free yourself from tweaking rules and accessing your clients' financial accounts. BotKeeper automates it all and learns as it goes. Thing is, Blake, a lot of small business owners, including startups, they are flying by the seat of their pants. It's all gut. By the way, the gut is a wonderful thing. Even here at my company, 80% of what we really do, the decision-making is in the gut. What the AOP and the annual operating plan allows you to do is memorialize that, one, and then two, communicate that to employees. So as you're designing their comp structure, they've got something to go back to. It's about, be, you know, about modifying their behavior to achieve those goals. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. So last time we talked, we were talking about how can accountants add advisory to their practices. And we talked about what non-advisory services are, versus advisory services, how we can look at the non-advisory stuff and we can learn what works there and apply that to advisory. So tax prep and bookkeeping, which everybody does pretty much at this point. Mm -hmm. We defined the term advisory, which is offering suggestions about the best course of action to somebody. We talked about the four questions that you have that you use for everyone who comes to Growth Lab that you ask them to get an idea of what services they might need from you, where their problems are, what the challenges are. Exactly. And that was, where's our cash going? Where are we making and losing money? How do you make marketing dollars, increase profits? I'm paraphrasing. And pay for performance. And pay for performance. So those four things, paying for performance. So now we've got that as our base. Let's build on that, right? Let's talk about how do we, how do we productize it? Because I think we came to the conclusion that we have to be able to productize whatever we're doing in order for it to be successful. We learned that in tax prep. We learned that in bookkeeping. So let's start from there. How do we productize advisory and, and what, what productized services do we offer to clients to help them with these four things? Right. So where do you want to start? So let's start with reflecting on when we all jumped into bookkeeping or accounting. Bookkeeping, accounting is a little bit of par for the course, right? You're creating the baseline of the business. That's assuming you've got a bicycle in motion. If you're dealing with a startup de novo, then chances are you're really looking out three, five years, developing a story, very different than a sustainable, ongoing um, concern, an operating business. Just like when we started bookkeeping, you were probably trying to figure out what is bookkeeping? A matter of getting transactions organized in a general ledger based on the chart of accounts. And then every week there would be transactions that come in. And some weeks, maybe you jump in on a Monday and maybe you skip a week, jump in on a Wednesday. And you soon realize like, my God, this customer that I'm charging say $500 a month for, I'm all over the place. I'm either, there's too much of high touch. Customers always calling me. 
Uh, every time the customer uses their credit card, they're texting me something. It's just like, it's not sustainable, right? Um, it is sustainable, but is it scalable? And no, it's not scalable. And part of the question of scalability isn't just getting your 40 hours back, but it's leveraging other human capital at different levels of capability to get that same work done without losing sort of the uh, customer expectations. And I'd like to go back to bookkeeping and accounting because it really sort of simplifies how you should be approaching building a scalable, sustainable, profitable advisory. It just feels a little different, right? Because an advisory, unlike bookkeeping, tends to be a little bit more binary, right? Transactional. It's like either you did it or you didn't do it. Advisory, you sort of play in the world of the unknowns and alternatives and scenario planning. And that's difficult to productize. Well, and something that makes bookkeeping maybe easier to productize is that we have, or at least we, we have accepted common deliverables that everybody delivers as part of the bookkeeping engagement, which is the monthly financial statements. Those can have different pieces in them. They could look different. They could be basic or they could be advanced and they could have custom reports and whatnot. But at least we know that's what we're giving them every month when we do bookkeeping. You almost don't have to train or teach the customer, the market. They already know what to expect. Right. Whereas on the advisory side- They don't know what to expect. They don't know what to expect. And we have to tell them what to expect. Yeah. I mean, okay. come on, nine out of 10 times you try to sell accounting or bookkeeping services to a customer, they kind of already know. I mean, today I had a two young, probably late 30s, successful. They've invested in 15 multifamily or commercial real estates, different SPVs, LLCs. And they were like, so what do I get with bookkeeping? That's one out of 10 times that ever happens to me. Like, oh my God, I actually have to teach you what <laughs> bookkeeping is and what you're going to get at the end of the month. And it took me 45 minutes because they really didn't know. That's usually what happens on the advisory side. Interesting. Interesting. Teaching the market. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so you, you had to like teach them, here's a P&L. We're going to give you a balance sheet, right? This is what we're going to do. This is how you pay your bills. Figure out your chart of accounts, pay your bills, all that. Okay. Well, <laughs> it sounds funny though, but like that's that's exactly the situation that most of our customers are in when it comes to advisory. So, exactly. So we need to be sympathetic to that. And often actually, well, hey, if you're listening, you might feel that way too, right? Because we don't even know what our deliverables are and we have to figure that out. So, okay, so let's keep going with this. We're not giving them a P&L and a balance sheet. We're already doing that when we do bookkeeping. What are we giving? Yeah, I think it starts with a framework around business strategy. We talk about the annual strategic business cycle. Again, it sounds very like management consulting like, but there are things that a business should do on an annual basis that are, there are different deliverables every month that businesses should really be contemplating, thinking about confronting, developing, um, and, or it can just be as simple as your long range plan, your annual operating plan, your employee compensation structure, your marketing dollars, your updated annual operating plan. Those three, four things, that, that's tangible. Um, and if it's not, then that's a different, you know, maybe that's a different conversation. Okay, so we, we talked about this a bit in the previous episode, and I want to dig into this more now. The annual strategic business cycle, the annual operating plan, the long-range plan, there's a lot there. What, which of these would be the easiest 
deliverable for somebody to start with if they wanted to start doing like basic advisory. They don't want to go all in. They want to mm-hmm. just get started, right? Where would you say I should start? So for an accounting professional, I was first introduced to this back in 2013 with my first startup. And he's still a good friend of mine. And he's a, uh, a senior partner, a leadership team of a top 100 accounting firm located here in Rhode Island. And I remember back in 2014, again, I came from commercial finance, corporate finance. So for me, cash flow was everything. And whatever the accountant sort of did on a gap basis was just like par for the course, right? But at the end of the day, we were trying to understand what are the cash needs of this business and we were developing a commercial finance business. And I remember this business model, this financial model, pro forma, three, five-year pro forma that I received. And I said, what is this? Uh, How do we get here? And you start peeling back the onions and really all you got was slapping a kager on top of a, a starting point. And that was sort of the plan. And that didn't feel right to me. So where's the easiest place to start? It definitely is the annual operating plan, right? It doesn't require a whole lot of blue skying. You don't need like long range goals. You just need something that's achievable, long, low hanging fruit, if you will. And like I said last time, or maybe in another episode, talked about what are two or three goals that a business owner can readily articulate, easily articulate? Well, revenue growth, like that's an easy one. If you're a million dollar company and you see the opportunity to be 1.1 million, great. That's a 10% increase, $100,000. And if you're able to calculate, if you will, how you get to that 100,000, what does that roadmap look like? Do you need more salespeople? Do you need more uh, marketing dollars for advertising? Do you need more production folks? Are you in a service-based business? So if you're in a service-based business, you know that your normal wages are 30% of your gross revenue then you can quickly calculate if you have enough capacity and obviously staggering that throughout the year because you don't just like wake up on January 1st and flip on the switch and you're on this run rate for 1.1 million, right? So So you you mentioned something really important, which is having that conversation with your client about their goals. So with the annual operating plan, we're we're keeping things simple because we're only thinking a year out. We're thinking 12 months in the future and we're saying, where do you want to be? And then the annual operating plan, like I often think of that as including a budget, but a 12 month budget. So, so, but, but it's more than that, right? Like it's more, it's also setting the goals, like you said, figuring out how we're going to get there. And the operating plan Mm -hmm. is, is the way we get there. Right. So. Look, I am the ghost of Christmas future. I have come to. Wait, what? Uh, Christmas was over months ago, and I'm pretty sure no one says Hark anymore. <clears throat> oh, uh, sorry. Since the Great Resignation, there aren't many of us future ghosts left working. So, well, I'm stretched a bit. I should be working on my holiday hauntings, but I'm picking up the slack. <sighs> yeah, it's tough out there for sure. My accounting firm has real capacity problems too. If we could find a way to tackle the work we have and still grow the firm, we'd be in great shape. But we're bogged down with all these menial bookkeeping tasks. That is why I have come, to show you the future of bookkeeping. That's great, but I'm standing right here. (laughs) Oh, sorry. You got my attention, though. Let's hear about the future of bookkeeping. At this point, I'll even take unsolicited ghost advice. (laughs) The future of bookkeeping is Bookkeeper. It will free your accountants from the chains of data entry, reconciliation, and verification. 
And now, if you schedule a meeting on number 4 March 31st, 2022, you could win a year of BotKeeper bookkeeping automation free. Just visit botkeeper.com slash win for details and rules. Wow, a free year of BotKeeper? That sounds pretty amazing, but we already have an online GL. Silly mortal. BotKeeper works with QuickBooks and Xero, the most popular online GLs. Free yourself from tweaking rules and accessing your client's financial accounts. BotKeeper automates it all and learns as it goes. It sounds fantastic, but we're so busy, we don't have time to implement new systems. BotKeeper is quick and simple to implement, and they even help, like Santa's helpers. Okay, I'm interested. How do I get started? Just visit BotKeeper.com win. And Mary! Yeah, still not Christmas. How does Growth Lab do budgets? And well, how do you do the annual operating plan? What's in there other than a budget? What's in it outside of a budget? It's articulating your goals. So we like to start with your three to five year goals. So if we were to start with a new customer, DeNovo, we really do focus on that three to five year. So what are my three to five year goals? Right. We call that goal deployment planning, right? And those are my, that's my GDP. What's my long range goal plans? And I like to stick with easy, easy stuff like revenue. Uh, something qualitative, right? I want to be an industry thought leader. What does that require in the next five years? Um, I want to acquire two businesses in the next five years to be accretive to revenue by X amount. Now that you have your five-year goals, now you're starting that journey. And your journey starts with next year, right? Your annual operating plan. So now you go from your long-range plan goals to your annual operating plan goals. And then once you articulate those, and that's just really a function of like, where do I want to be in three to five years? Well, what do I have to do next year? Like, what goals do I have to achieve next mm -hmm. year to actually be on this journey? After that, it's about what's the process to get there. So if I want to be in a position in three years to buy two businesses, then I better start next year developing my corporate development capability, right? I need to be able to be out there sourcing deals, talking to new business owners, or hiring an investment banker, whatever that may be. If my goal, um, on the other hand, is to increase a particular product line or service line revenue by 10%, because my five-year goal tells me I better double my revenue, so that means next year I should be around 15%, right, growth in revenue. What does that mean on my labor side? Well, if 15% growth really requires you to hire one person in March and then another person in September because the sales don't get turned on on January 1st, right? You got to think about it as this is compounded and, and therefore your production needs to be able to keep up with that. That's all goes into an annual operating plan. So I go back mm -hmm. to this, keep it simple, but keep it thoughtful. It can't be too simple that all you're doing is slapping on a kager on your revenue, on your cogs, on your OPEX. Say, what is that? What does that mean? Uh, compounded annual growth rate. Okay, I've got it. So essentially just saying, oh, I'm going to increase my revenue by 15% and therefore everything else is going to increase by 15%. That doesn't, life really doesn't work that way. If I'm going to grow my revenue by 15% and on average my cost of goods sold is you know 50% of my revenue and my wages are X, then you have to be thinking about that. when does that growth in revenue actually happen January, February, so on and so forth. And how do I keep up with that production? Now, the thing is, Blake, a lot of small business owners, including startups, 
they are flying by the seat of their pants. It's all gut. By the way, the gut is a wonderful thing because even here at my company, this is what we do for people, but 80% of what we really do, the decision-making is in the gut. What the AOP and the annual operating plan allows you to do is memorialize that, one, and then two, communicate that to employees. So as you're designing their comp structure, they've got something to go back to. It's about be, you know, about modifying their behavior to achieve those goals. Okay. So as we discussed previously, we're at least having a monthly meeting with these folks, our clients, and we use some of the first meetings. Maybe we do more than that at the beginning, right? Like we're having more frequent meetings. Three months. Every week. Every week. Okay. For three months, we're doing every week. That's easy to productize, right? And and we know that I, as the partner, I'm going to be doing those meetings because those are high-level advisory. High-level advisory. Okay. So I sit down, we talk about these things, the goals, the metrics we're going to focus on. We try to keep it simple. We come up with a few of these. Okay, great. We've got that idea. How do we go from that to the annual operating plan as a document, as a spreadsheet, as a budget? How do you do it at, at Growth Lab? Are you able to... I mean, you're not messing around with spreadsheets yourself. We, no. we know that's not scalable. So how do we then push that work down to staff to develop Good. the budget? So we should talk a little bit about the customer onboarding experience. Okay. Yes. Walk me, joins, walk me through it. Like I'm a new customer. Through. Yeah. So as soon as you join the company as an accounting customer and as a FP&A customer, step number one is... Do the chart of accounts, does the chart of accounts that you're currently using reflect where you want to be in one year, three years, five years out? Not a fan of like totally future-proofing the chart of accounts, but if we're going to clean things up and we're going to draw a line in the sand, does the chart of accounts reflect where we're headed? So that's step number one. If the answer is no, then we go ahead, spend a week updating the chart of accounts, very high level. And then send the chart of accounts over to the accounting team so that when they are actually doing the cleanup and the onboarding of the customer, they're now using the new chart of accounts. So that's step one. Step two is once accounting is off and running, the CFO or director of finance alongside a senior financial analyst. So in the first three months during this discovery onboarding period for FP&A, there will always be two people on these calls. And we'll actually have the calls recorded on Chorus or on Firefly because there is a lot of exchange of knowledge that is happening. We, are, we as a company are very industry agnostic, but we don't know everything and, every, and there are nuances and idiosyncrasies in every business. And we want to be able to capture that. And you said there's two people on every call in the first three months. Who are those two people? It will be either a CFO or director of finance and a senior financial analyst. And these are roles at Growth Lab, just to be clear. These are roles at Growth Lab. All right, continue, please. And so during the first month, what are we trying to do? One, if you're coming in de novo without a business model, that's a different approach. Now I've got to carte blanche. I've got to whiteboard. I've got to understand all the underlying drivers. I got to understand the historical accounting and then be able to blueprint what a P&L looks like. And we really use our 10 steps to business modeling when we're doing something de novo. That would be like step one. Now, if you're coming in with some sort of plan, 
that makes it a little, little easier because our senior financial analysts can jump in and start blueprinting the model coming from our customer, which will then inform the conversations and lead to other conversations around the drivers of the business, aspirations, and goals. And when you say business model, if the customer has one existing, you mean they've got some sort of Excel-based, generally a, a spreadsheet-based model where they have inputs and they get financial outputs from that. Exactly. And okay. if they do, step one is blueprint. Step two is input that information into Giraffe. Okay. And Giraffe is the FP&A software that you are standardized on. Correct. That is okay. our back office FP&A platform. Okay. So that is not like a one-week project, right? Obviously, depending on the capability one has with the platform, it could take longer. But that is that is more like a four- to six-week process because there are a lot of iterations, just building the model. And then second step is understanding the underlying KPIs that are important to the customer and that the KPIs, what the customer believes to be the realities of the market, customer acquisition, lifetime value, spend, uh, CPC, all that stuff, right? You got to make sure that... Well, and for our listeners that are new to FP&A Advisory, KPI stands for Key Performance Indicator. And you just mentioned one, right? Cost to acquire a customer... Uh, value, customer lifetime value, revenue per head. Like we're, those are the metrics that we say, I like to say drives the business that they're really definitely the marketing side. Okay. And so those are important metrics, customer conversion. We even look at metrics such as, uh, sales per BDR sales by accounts, uh, account executive, right? Really looking at the whole rev up. So I go back to like this 10 steps, to business modeling, which is on our blog, uh, on our website, I, I always said, you know, if income statements were actually created by non-accountants, we'd probably all start with marketing dollars at the top, right? Mm-hmm. And the marketing dollars converting into revenue and so on and so forth. And so we really focus on the first three steps of business modeling. And we've used this at Ivy League schools when we're sitting and um, um, teaching in entrepreneurial financial finance classes. And it's a great tool because it's you're keeping it simple and you focus on what's important is, you know, what can I afford how much can I afford to market to my addressable market to acquire X amount of customers and which ultimately convert into revenue dollars? And um, you have to understand KPIs because you need to oh, know totally. that there's that one really important KPI, customer acquisition cost or CAC. If you don't know that, you don't know how much you can spend. Totally. So that's unless you had a lot of money. <laughs> right. Unless you have unlimited dollars, which you know, we don't. We don't. And that's, that's one of the things that people, I think, miss a lot in the discussion about KPIs and KPI dashboards is we all get excited about, oh, I'm going to have this fancy KPI dashboard for my clients. But then the clients don't actually really use it because <laughs> we haven't linked those KPIs to anything. And right. what, you're, what you're doing here is you've, you're linking the KPI to the business model. And then the reason that we look at it is because we know what it needs to be. Because they are the underlying drivers of the business. Right. So, so great, revenue okay. by headcount. Who cares? If you're not comparing it to something, either on a time series or benchmarking against competitors, what's the point of looking at revenue by headcount? There's nothing. Right. That's a yeah. waste of a KPI. Okay, so let's continue on this customer journey here. Where were we? we we're understanding the KPIs, building out that, whiteboarding that business model, because they don't have one a lot of the time. 
and we're translating that into something. Right. So I digress. Are you interested in being more of an advisor to your clients? There's an app that can help you get there. Its name is Liveflow. Have you ever exported a QuickBooks Online report to a Google Sheet, spent time customizing the sheet, invited others to collaborate, then discovered the QuickBooks data had changed, forcing you to start the entire process over again? Liveflow has solved your problem. Liveflow connects QuickBooks Online directly to Google Sheets, allowing you to have sheets that automatically update with the most recent QuickBooks data. Accountants are using Liveflow today to create automatically updating budgets versus actual reports and consolidated reports. Yes, you heard right, consolidated reports. You can connect one Google Sheet to multiple QuickBooks Online companies and focus on providing better advice. Liveflow has a special offer just for the listeners of this podcast. Get 20% off your first three months. To claim this special offer and learn more about using Liveflow, go to liveflow.io slash earmark. That's L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W dot I-O slash earmark. So the first uh, six weeks are focused around building your three to five year long range plan. Okay. And normally we like to do that in the fall, but when you acquire a customer, say in the spring, you just have to, you have to build that long range plan. Then coming out of that long range plan or going into the long range plan, you're identifying the goals of the business, the underlying drivers of the business the staffing roadmap, product development roadmap, and then ultimately the liquidity needs of the business. Remember, every plan needs cash. And I don't care if the cash is coming from free cash flow, from a bank, from an investor, or a venture capitalist. Every plan needs cash, working capital, scaling of the business, et cetera. So those are kind of the three or four things that we sort of take away coming out of building the long-range plan. Again, we just don't slap on the kager. We have to build it through more fundamental approach, understanding the drivers of the business. So step one is six weeks in, long range plan completed. Two weeks later, start building out the management reports, some of the dashboards based on the KPIs that we use to build a long range plan. And then by month three, we should be tightening up our annual operating plan. Now this works all wonderful when a customer comes on in the summer, but that's not always the case. <laughs> and, and again, how many KPIs, like on average, do you set up for a customer? So it depends on the customer. I mean, if it's a, say, a, B to, a B2B SaaS, you know, RMR type of business, uh, and you're acquiring customers, you're filling, you know, you have to understand the, I'll just use the word mm -hmm. funnel, right? Um, trying to understand the dynamics of that funnel, you could be talking like five, six different KPIs, just okay. high level KPIs. Okay. That's good and to know. That has nothing to do with underlying cash flow profitability or cash flow break even of hiring employees, right? That's yeah. another important KPI. When does an employee actually become cash flow positive? Okay. So we've understood the business model. We have a long range plan. Getting back on track, how do we uh create that annual operating plan. Do you do that? Does your staff do that? Who, where, where do we go from here? Good. So at the end of that third month, we should have an annual operating plan that is locked and loaded. Now, so, it's a budget. It doesn't change. 
so in the first year, it's a little different, right? There's a lot of, there's somewhat of a learning curve for the customer. They're not used to this, but assuming that this is a, an ongoing concern, we've been around for a while, you create that annual operating plan. It's locked and loaded January 1st. It doesn't change. And now we're using, now we go to that productizing, right? You've onboarded the customer the first three months. Now we can start talking about the rigor, the cadence, right? The, the, the thing we do in bookkeeping and accounting. Now, now the, the annual operating plan, that budget, like you have financial analysts who can take the business model that you under, as you understand it and turn that into the budget? Correct. That, that's how you've, okay. So you do the weekly meetings, you understand it, you document it, and then the financial analyst, well, I guess that senior financial analyst is on the call. They're on the call. It, turning I it into- I personally, okay. yeah, the CFO or the director of finance begins to wean themselves off of these customer meetings by the third month. Got it. Because by the third month, you already have your set of tools, your long range plan, your annual operating plan. Now we go on to workflow. What does that repeatable right. workflow look like on a monthly basis and on a quarterly basis? Me personally, I will jump in once a quarter to review actuals to budget, to get an update on the, on the, on the state of the business, some of the variances, the countermeasures, like what's going on, any, any questions around hiring and how they should be thinking about hiring and marketing, et cetera. But all in all, on a monthly basis, if you are on our highest level package, you're probably getting a meeting once a week. So uh, the middle tier package, it's every other week. One week we're looking at actuals to budget, more of a financial review. Um, and then on the second week, we're looking at more of an operational review, staffing, marketing uh, numbers, CAC, LTV, the things that are changing along the way. And I don't do that. The financial analysts are able to do that. Great. And we're going to talk all about what kind of people you hire for these financial analyst roles in a bit. Let's mm -hmm. stick with the, um, the, the productization of the service. So I take it that as part of the service, now that we've gotten AOP after that third month, we are now delivering our financial statements that include, or management reports, if we want to call them that, that include yeah. budget versus actuals, variance reporting. What else is, uh, in your typical management report packet? So definitely the actuals to budget. I like to look at some trends. I like to look at gross margins by service or product line. Um, I like to see the trend from month to month. Um, less about, I mean, sometimes year over year, but um, lately it's been more month over month or actuals over plan. And those uh, margins by service line, you're able to do that because you've set up the chart of accounts properly. So that properly, and because in Giraffe, it allows you to do that. Whereas in QuickBooks, you're much more limited as to the type of ratios you can produce. The other big thing I, I really geek out to, and I don't think people look at this enough, um, that is a common sized, some people call it normalized, common sized balance sheet, PL. I love to see the consumption of revenue by expense line item. That tells me a lot of story around what's actually happening, uh, especially when you're in hyperinflationary uh, periods. Consumption of revenue by expense line item. Tell me more about that. What does that phrase mean? 
So I believe accounting uh, 101, you guys called it uh, common size balance sheet. <laughs> I, I, it's been a little while, so you might have to refresh my memory. <laughs> so if you look at gross revenue as 100%, right, the total pie, yeah. and then you start um, depleting that pie uh, starting at cost of goods sold, maybe you've got raw materials, direct labor costs, and freight, right? So you look at cost of goods sold, maybe depletes revenue by 50%, leaving your gross profit, gross margin at 50%. But then you like to see what components of gross uh, uh, cost of goods sold are um, taking, you know, eating up more of that revenue. And if you start looking at that month over month, that actually tells you uh, a clearer picture of what's actually happening. And you can find... There's a lot of things you can find, uh, especially inflation, improper accounting <laughs> on a accrual basis. So there's a few things that you can um, uncover by mm. by doing a trend month over month trend analysis of a common size P&L or uh, balance sheet. So now the meetings have gone to a monthly basis and the meetings are with generally the, or did you say biweekly? I can't. Recall. So uh, normally it is bi-weekly. Okay. So every two weeks. Every two weeks. Senior financial analyst does all of those meetings, and then you jump in once a month, once a quarter. Once a quarter. Okay. Or we have our stand-up meetings every day. We have stand-up meetings once a week, um, kind of doing a full portfolio review. Once a, once a day, we do sit down with all, the entire analyst team uh, mm -hmm. for 30 minutes and kind of run down all of the customers. Uh, what happened yesterday, what, what's happening today, once a week, kind of doing more all hands-on. And now all, all, of this, all of this work is actually templatized and memorialized in uh, our workflow system. We Got use it. Carbon. Carbon, okay. And that keeps, that keeps track of all your recurring work and all the one-off jobs, and you make sure the work gets delivered. Right. Um, but Blake, you know, sometimes we have to think about this FP&A component, not just starting with... FPNA and ending with FPNA, it really starts with bookkeeping, good solid controllership, closing of the month, fiscal mm -hmm. review, where the accounting team is actually has an open line of communication with the customer to close the books while my senior financial analyst is actually on that call. So even a call where the accounting team is closing the books with a customer there will be a senior financial analyst from the FPNA team on that call with the controller because it's important to have continuity of customer information throughout this entire value stream. Gotcha. One of the biggest pitfalls that we've had and sort of critiques from our customers is it's growth lab dealing with growth lab is like a black hole. We don't know what happens to our information. And the irony is like, Hey, you're coming to us because we can manage everything from your bookkeeping, accounting, FPNA up to your tax. But yet the entry points are very different. And we've made a, a, a concerted effort in the last 18 months to really tie all of these things together, especially the flow of information. And, and one way that you are able to get information flowing easily between accounting and finance and creating this budget and the long-range plan, which is a forecast, like doesn't take forever, is because you're using software that speeds this up and keeps it all in one place. So totally. You're using Giraffe as your financial planning and analysis platform. FP&A software is the category. And that is 
hooking into your customer's accounting system, mm-hmm. which what do you what do you use for accounting for these folks? So yeah. I would say we are about 80, 85% QBO and 15 to 20% zero. Okay. Uh, if you were to just look at the cloud mm-hmm. and then obviously there's a handful that are something else. So non-cloud based. <laughs> <laughs> so you're pulling in all the data into Giraffe and then you are building a financial model in Giraffe. That's the logic that you would normally have in a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't need to get into detail on that, but that's basically like the setting up the drivers of the business, right. setting up the KPIs that are important. And then you you do your reporting in your dashboards in that tool. That includes the budgets and the forecast. So it's all in one place. Correct. Um, so you're not mucking around like sending spreadsheets everywhere. No. Um, do you think it would be possible to to have Growth Lab do what it does if you didn't have an FP&A software? You know, we did it for many years. So we've been around eight years. And in the first four, five years, it was all spreadsheets. So anytime you wanted to do actuals to budget, just keeping it simple and bookkeepers and accountants love changing your chart of accounts because a transaction comes in and nobody knows where to put it. Just create a new account. Make a new account. Why not? Right. The problem is the CFO (laughs) on the other hand, or worse yet, the analyst who doesn't have enough like business acumen, they can't seem to tie the plan to the actuals or the actuals to the plan. And it's like finding a needle in a haystack and, and so on and so forth. So giraffe, and we've, we actually look, we, we've been, we've been on the hunt for a long time for a platform. We've seen the dashboards, either they were overly simplistic or they were too complicated to set up. You needed like tight, tight accounting. And you please find me one company that has like tight accounting. There's always going to be nuance, right? There's always going to be like errors in there. And so having a platform that calculates days outstanding, something's something silly, simple, right? Because there's a lot of there's a million ways to calculate days outstanding, but just keeping it simple, it's very difficult to do that. And these systems would just, you know, they would plug into these chart of accounts and QuickBooks, and it wasn't hundred percent because if you're on cash versus accrual or you have a combination, I mean, everybody's on some sort of hybrid cash accrual, right? Nobody's on 100% accrual. So it took us a while and we found Giraffe. And then initially, we just felt like Giraffe wasn't robust enough to deal with the type of modeling that we were doing, aka business modeling for the purpose of fundraising, seed, series A, series B. And so we needed more sophistication. Plus, we needed to be able to walk away and understand what are the liquidity needs of this plan. What are the multiple tranches of capital raising? And um, and it was only until like 2019 that we realized Giraffe had come a long way and it could replace what we were doing in the spreadsheets. The biggest difference was as a 46-year-old guy who cut his teeth in Excel, you literally had to throw out 20 years of learnings and you know how, how spreadsheets are built. You have to throw that away. And that was, and that is very difficult for me and was very difficult for me. But yet we have a team, we call them Project Tower. And they are young financial analysts right out of college as part of our recruiting and training development. And yes, we do call it Project Tower. <laughs> and yes, I can tell you who on my team, uh, my good, my, one of my senior financial analysts, Ben out in Denver, 
was like, oh, we should just call it Project Tower. And I, everybody's like, why? So, uh, Blake, do you know why? Well, that's because, uh, and full disclosure, I used to work at Giraffe. A, a group of giraffes is called a tower. Okay, there right? you like, go. Like you have so a flock got- of birds. Or, yeah. <laughs> so we got so. Project Tower analysts. And that's yeah. all they do is build a blueprint and build uh, models in Giraffe, which is great because now you're, you're getting these uh, young in-training analysts mm-hmm. to not learn Excel because they will always get it wrong in Excel. And I'll end up having to spend just as much time fixing the work and double checking and look. So I don't have to deal with that anymore. And now we've got standard operating procedures for building up a giraffe model, which can then be used for making FPNA boring again, cadence and rigor. Cadence and rigor. And and so let's touch on cadence and rigor. And then uh, in the time we have left, I want to talk about the financial analyst people. So cadence and rigor, that is these monthly meetings or biweekly meetings, uh, do you have like standard talking points, things you hit on things that you're like, do you have a checklist for your senior financial analyst or do you just let them run the meeting? Like how do they know what to do? Do they just get on a zoom and have at it? Yeah, no, good question. Right. So they start with revenue. So we, for the FPNA side, we do focus on the balance sheet, but Believe it or not, we actually focus a little less on the balance sheet than the PL. So we do focus a lot on the PL and starts with customer acquisition. So one of the nice things in Giraffe is that you can actually go to the second derivative of your revenue and look at things like shipments, uh, things like how many customers you acquired, your bookings, uh, MRR, and all that jazz, right? Because all of that ultimately rolls up to customer attrition, customer retention, customer acquisition, and then revenue. And, and this um, so, is a really important yeah. point, which is that you can budget for those metrics. 100%. So, yeah. And okay. we would do that anyways, right, in a spreadsheet. Right. Well, now we can not do it in the spreadsheet. And so we start with what's important for the business, which is customer acquisition. And then on to revenue. And then on to cost of goods sold. And then ultimately, like, OPEX. And really trying to understand the why. First of all, this is what we thought, what happened. And it's identifying... Ultimately, we're trying to get to the point of like understanding the risks and opportunities to achieving or not achieving your full year plan. Once you've identified those, so if you can picture the analyst kind of running through those and coming out of every meeting, there should be like top three opportunities, top three risks. Okay, great. Next step is the conversation around what are we going to do about it? So if you were to tell me, oh, Dan, we had a slam dunk month in September, and I got to tell you, October, I, I actually think we're going to do over 20% of our budget in October, which means we're just going to you know, blow through the numbers this year. My next question is like, how are you going to do that? Like, Just because you have the opportunity to bring on this new sale, on the flip side, you need to be able to produce it. So countermeasure. We need to start hiring, right? Or we need to allocate resources. So starting to have some of those uh, conversations. Now, a an analyst with say five to seven years, are they going to be able to have that level of like business acumen conversation? Probably not. But that's where if things are a little heated, that's where they would bring me in and I would have a, a follow-on conversation with the customer. Customers uh, going into fundraising mode. Well, again, the financial analyst will help the customer model out what the um, the raise would look like, the sources and uses of cash. But if it comes down to conversations around investor profile, 
you know, more, more ad hoc CFO level, then that would not happen in that FP&A meeting. That would happen in a non, in a, another probably other different service or billable um, meeting. Okay. Well, this is great. I'm going to stop you there because we're almost out of time. So just to sum up, we, we've kind of defined, I think we have really defined what a productized advisory service is, the essence of it, long range plan, annual operating plan, rigor and cadence with regular meetings where we review budget versus actuals and all of our key KPIs and all that stuff. So that's the essence of it. And it layers really well on top of bookkeeping because we'd already be pre- preparing financial statements. Right. We're now just going the next level and now they're management reports, right? They can use to run their business. Okay. You mentioned those important roles. You have the CFO or director of finance role. That's often you, or that could be another higher level folk person, you know, somebody who'd be like a partner uh, in an accounting firm or a director. And then you have these senior financial analysts. And those are the ones who are doing, what is it like 80% of the work, right? That's right. Yeah. So the senior financial analysts will be doing probably 50% of the work, adding 80% of the value. Mm. And then under the senior financial analysts, you would have the uh, junior uh, analysts who are actually modifying the the models, in this case in giraffe, and producing the output for those meetings. Okay. So, yeah. So, so you got, yeah, you've got various levels of financial analyst roles. And this team is totally separate. Well, I wouldn't say totally separate, but they're a separate team from accounting. Separate team from accounting, okay. but they work together and everything flows. So, when we come back next time, I want to talk about what that team looks like in more detail, who you are hiring into these financial analyst roles. I mean, we can, we can say, I think I know the answer. They're not accountants. Yes. (laughs) So that's interesting. That's really interesting. And then we'll talk maybe if uh, we can about how to price these different levels of service. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I'll be honest, like we've even offered some of our accounting and bookkeeping team members to join the FP&A team. And surprisingly, everybody said no. So we actually do have to go outside of the firm to hire new analysts. It's a very different mindset I have found, you know, coming myself from an accounting and bookkeeping background and then learning FP&A, working at Giraffe. It's a very different way of thinking. Different way. Very. So I really look forward to that conversation with you when we return. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Blake. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something new. And if you did, wouldn't it be nice to get some CPE credit for it? Well, I've got great news. My new app, Earmark CPE, offers free NASPA-approved CPE credits for listening to podcasts, including this one. Visit earmarkcpe.com to download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. That's earmarkcpe.com. 